this notion of being able to fail fast and fail cheap, I think is imperative. So organizations that lack that, that are really risk averse, I think often struggle with, with doing really innovative work in data science and AI. Having that culture supported from top down, I think is absolutely imperative. I've seen organizations do this and really excel. I've seen others that have lacked this and have been scared and fearful, and they've been really slow to, to increase their maturity. Mate, great to see oh, yeah. you. It's been too oh, long. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a huge Alex Antic fan and love, love the work that you do, man. So um, I wanted to ask you about the, a bit of the Alex Antic origin story, right? How, how did you get to where you are today? Give us a, a bit of an overview and, um, and then we can, we can jump in from there. Sure. No, fair enough. Um, I think it's best to view my career like a Tarantino's Kill Bill. It comes in two volumes, actually. Volume one is the early days. That was really data science for personal growth. That was really helping hone my technical skills primarily working as a quant in the financial services sector, um, roles at Macquarie, Allianz, Colonial First State, you know, funds management, hedge, hedge funds management early on, and then investment banking, front office quant at Macquarie Bank for almost six years, which was a fantastic time. Worked with some of the best quants in the country and, yeah, met some fantastic people, worked some really cool problems. And then from there, went on to the, the current volume, current um, section of my career that I'm in, and that's really data science for, I guess, public good, helping, helping get the message out there, helping other organizations, really trying to, to use AI and data science to really make a difference, to drive impact and change. And yeah, I mean, happy to delve into any of those as, as you see. Oh man, 100%. Think, yeah. Sorry? Yeah, happy to, happy to, you know, go into deep detail on any of those aspects. Feel free. I love it. So tell me about, about volume one and how, how deliberate was the decision to, um, to improve the the I guess the, the technical skills, what was it? What was it in particular that you were chasing um, sure, and, sure. and optimizing for during volume one? I guess it all goes back to to university studies. So I I did a double degree in maths and computing. Really enjoyed both, and I thought even though maths was really my my first love, I thought computing just adds such an element at that time to to help solve some complex problems that you can't really do without heavy you know, computational capabilities. You know, maths can only itself, doing analytical solutions can only take you so far. And during my studies, undergrad studies, I had an opportunity to work with CBA as a, as a quant in one of their leading quant teams. And that gave me exposure to, to how you can actually apply the math and computing I've been learning to solve some really complex, complex problems that were quite challenging and really fascinating. But I wasn't quite ready to venture out into the real world then. So then I went on and did um, uh, honors degree in pure mathematics and then a PhD in applied mathematics. And then finally I thought it's time to, to leave this world of academia and, <laughs> and go back into, into the real world. And, and when an opportunity came up to initially work with Colonial when hedge funds were really sexy at the time, mm. it was the fund of hedge funds team. And that was incredible, just getting exposure to, to how some of the, the leading work in, in, in anal analysis is applied to portfolio optimization was taking place. But the, the real things that stand out in that job were meeting two people. So first of all, I was really lucky to meet Nassim Taleb, who you probably heard of, and wow. had some fantastic um, conversations. And I walked away from that, um, from that particular conversation learning one valuable lesson, and that was you can't really take out the human element when it comes to analytics. Mm. Helped me really just realize that analytics on its own gets you so far. You really have to think of 
the broader applications. And that's something that's, that's come around these days when I talk to people about AI ethics, bias, fairness, and responsible AI. So that was uh, just an important lesson early on is just when you so, do analytics. So, yeah, so that's, that's not just in the, in the adoption. So it's not, it's not only like the last mile, but it's, it's uh, thinking about the, the human element on the whole value chain. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And you're exactly right. It's, it's from, yeah, it's the entire pipeline. It's from actually finding the problem you're going to solve like actually making sure it's a viable problem that has merit and that you can actually solve with measurable outcomes, that it actually has strategic value for the organization first and foremost. I mean, that's what it's there for because analytics is just a means to an end in that, in that respect. Mm-hmm. And then it's around the communication element. How do you actually understand the problem? How do you first translate the problem into technical solution? And how do you take the technical solution and translate it back to business? So the communication is fundamental, as I'm sure you know, we've discussed before, you've got to get that right, otherwise the whole thing can fall through. Yes. And, and then, yeah, there's, there's the last stage, and when you deploy a model, and what impact does it have on people? You know, you don't, you don't want to forget the user experience, you don't want to infect, you know, like forget about the, any impacts you may have, especially these days when we talk about the ethical and bias components, when it's deployed on, on a large scale, you know, analytics at scale is really what we're seeing these days, which is really what's different to some of the work I was doing earlier on in my career. So you have to be very mindful, I think, from the get-go in terms of the problems you choose and then how do you actually apply them in practice. You need to be thinking of that human element all the way through. So, yeah, that's something, the essence of it that I learned from him and then I, I guess tailored to, to get a deeper understanding as my career has progressed and how it applies to data science more broadly. Definitely, definitely a deeper, a deeper understanding and, and, um, and fantastic execution. Um, is is my my opinion of um, what I, what I've seen what I've seen you do, and then tell me what was what was the the trigger or the catalyst for for volume two to move into volume two. I guess as with most careers, as you tend to move up and take on more management and leadership and mentoring roles, you start to think more broadly, less of thinking about the technical element and what can be I guess automated and delegated to others, and thinking okay what what value can I really impart? Like what, what's really bothering me that I think I can add some insight into to help others uh, not struggle as much through their journey to help them, I guess, leverage the, the, the key elements of analytics, data science, AI to really make a difference. And then as opportunities came up to then move into the public sector, um, that's the thing where volume two really kicked off. And that's really on the, that was on the cusp of when data science started to take off. So the first role there was, just prior to that, I was working with Allianz and helping their, some of their actuaries use machine learning to, to um, I guess, replicate and improve on some of the uh, work they were doing in their space, generalized linear modeling and other techniques. And, and then I got a taste for this emerging field of machine learning and how fascinating that was. And then when it came to applying it and then um, leading some teams in government to really help them get to the forefront of this, I thought that's a fantastic opportunity to really I guess, make a difference and learn some new things, you know, really further my own skills in leadership and management and just see how it's actually done in government that from a technical perspective and work on some fascinating problems. And that was, yeah, that's been heaps of fun. That's been, I guess, a key part of it in the last seven years or so is working for government or with them as I do now, working closely with them and helping them on their journey, a lot of agencies and departments to discover the benefits of data science. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and before, before we move into the, the putting AI to work uh, piece and, and that, that part of the discussion, um, tell us a little bit about the, the, 
community building side of Alexantic. And um, that's, that's um, I, uh, mate, well, one of, one of the many things that I, that I admire about you, but one of, one of the many is, is uh, the, the willingness to, to give, to help, and to bring people together. Um, where, tell us a little bit about, where does that come from? What are the types of things you've done in the past? And what are the ones that you're doing at the moment? Uh, in, in working with people, you know, across organizations, uh, oh. across different areas and, and bringing those people together? Good question. Uh, I guess the element that relates to me helping others has always been a key part of, I guess, my personality from early in my career. It, it's, it's initially what drove me to, to commence a career in academia through education, helping people understand math, math stats and computing. And then beyond that has been to so I guess to form communities like the meetups that are that I'm running currently in, in data science and, and, and R and others and, and through the blog and just LinkedIn activity and helping people through mentorship programs and others. It's just helping people, I guess, discover their own passion in, in data science and analytics and, and learn how to, how to, how to leverage that and how to really boost their careers just by, I guess, as, I guess in some ways as, as leaders in the field, it's our responsibility to give back and help others. I've had key people, you know, help me in my career just through advice or just to bounce ideas off early on. And I've always felt really privileged to have that opportunity. And I feel, thought, always thought when I can, I'm going to start giving back myself. So the meetups are a great way to, I guess, to share that passion and to, and to you know, connect with people like such as yourself and others we know in the field who, to invite them to give talks and to share experiences with, with you know, aspiring or junior data scientists, or even some more experienced ones who just want to, um, look at different aspects of their career, build up a leadership profile themselves. Through the blog, it's, it's an opportunity to, to write a lot of these thoughts down, to reflect on what I'm seeing in the industry, um, either technical aspects or management aspects or, or general trends, and, and just to share it with people at scale, you know, just talking to it, Sometimes it comes up as a result of a few people asking similar questions, and I think, well, rather than answer it, you know, multiple times, let's answer it once in a big way by writing something down, and that's always fun to... To, to get some ideas down and, and see how they unfold as you start writing, you start delving deeper into your own understanding and what you want to learn what, learn further. And then through the, the current um, work at, at the ANU and helping set up a, a new institute and run that, and that's really um, focused on, once again, educating and training people at scale, training the next generation of data scientists and analytics leaders and software engineers too, and, and trying to get them better prepared from the shift from academia to, to real world application, helping them from an earlier stage become more integrated into the process. And once again, sharing my own focus, so coming from um, industry and actually doing a back propagation in my career, going from, you know, and now going from industry to government to academia, which is very much the wrong way around, as, as no, many people not. have said. <laughs> so, I mean, is it an optimized problem? I don't know. We'll, we'll see when we get to the solution, but that's kind of where I am at the moment. So. Uh, once oh, again, that's, I love it. But that's really around leveraging all the experience I've had in industry and government, bringing I back to it. students, yeah, and helping them, helping them, then go in the right direction. Yeah, no, you're a good man. And uh, what about the the data science riddles? So anyone that uh, anyone that knows and follows Alex Alex on on LinkedIn, um, at will we'll be um, subject to seeing um, data science riddles very often. Uh, I can, I can um, very ashamed to admit that I don't think I've, I've got one. <laughs> 
so far. Um, but I see, you know, like some of the brightest minds in the space uh, taking a stab. Uh, it, it's always it's always interesting, always fun, uh, always sparks curiosity and discussion. Um, tell us, tell us about about how it's been doing those. Uh, I must say, I've been blown away by it. the number of people that that um, comment on, on enjoying it or if I haven't done one for a while, they'll, they'll get back to me and say, you okay? Like you haven't released a riddle. Like what's going on? I depend on these. <laughs> I, I wish I was smart enough to think of a way to monetize them. You know, I would have been quite wealthy, I think. But So that initially stemmed from... T-shirts. T-shirts with the so. riddles. I, I've, I've tried that actually. I'm playing around with that idea. So thank you. Let's do <laughs> you, it. Yeah. You can be my first customer. I'm in. <laughs> um, I guess that, that really stemmed from... Well, it was watching a rerun of, you know, Tolkien's works and, you know, you remember the famous riddles throughout the Hobbit and et cetera. And I was reflecting on that and I thought, and I, had, and I was thinking about some work stuff and I thought, oh, this, it just naturally came together. I just thought of a particular uh, riddle that's somewhat related to and inspired by Tolkien. And I thought, all right, let's get that out there just for fun. And then the uptake was quite, quite positive after that. You know, thousands of people would sometimes view and attempt these and that just blew me away. So it's two reasons really. It's one is for fun, obviously, and the other the other reason is to to help, I guess, teach people about different elements of data science more broadly that they wouldn't have maybe thought about. So I do have many people reach out and say, "Oh, thanks for the last really got me thinking about a particular technique I haven't done. It could be Elasticsearch, could be SVD, or whatever it is." And they you know research it and start applying it in their own work, and that's just awesome. That is completely you know blows me away that people are seeing the different aspects of the riddles and the techniques that are that are, um, I guess, that are implicitly being taught through that and, and they look into it further. So that's, that's been a huge plus. I, I just wish I could come up with more quick enough but sometimes work gets the better of me, unfortunately. Um, well, but, but it also uh, demonstrates, and I guess it requires a depth of understanding of the technique that you're going to build the riddle around um, to obviously, and obviously uh, uh, trying to um, inspire curiosity and then, and to have the effect that you're having around inspiring people to, to delve deeper into understanding that particular technique and then use it in their own work, in their own projects. Um, amazing, man. Huge, huge so. impact. I yeah, so. definitely. I, I guess the other, the other thing I, I really enjoy is it gets people thinking. I, th I think in, in our world, often people, in many of the aspects that we work in, they have to constantly react to work. I think what's missing often is the ability to think and think deeply about what problem are you solving? Does it need to be solved by a complex method? Yeah. And something that, that being initially taught in mathematics really drilled down to me early is when you try and solve a problem, you always try and break it down into simpler components. When you're looking at a complex problem, you want to initially start building something that's simple, but not simplistic. It still has to capture the, the, the nuance and the essence of what you're trying to, to model or, or explain. But, you don't want to be make it overly complex. I always try and teach people when you tackle a problem, start with the simplest solution first and then add complexity as you need to because sometimes the, the non-sexy elements will add value to organization. Just automating an Excel file or you know, just changing a process, automating something quite simple, you don't always have to go or even need to often go down into the most complex deep learning algorithm to extract value that can just often add complexity, make it difficult to explain, make it difficult to validate. So... Simplicity, I think, is beautiful in many ways. Yeah. Oh man, that that is such an important lesson, um, and something so important for people to keep in mind. And um, I I love that. I love that frame of reference uh, to to tackling problems, focusing on on simplicity, and um, and also 
uh, understanding the, the the trade-offs in terms of time spent because yes. if with the with the myriad of, of pro business problems that can be solved with data science, um, if you go through lots of them and offer a simple solution, you can move on to the next and tackle heaps of problems in a particular period of time compared to building one complex solution for one problem Spot in the on. same period. Um, yeah. yeah, so man, I love, I love that, that focus. Um, so tell me, tell me about uh, putting AI to work. Um, tell me about uh, your, your focus uh, on, on delivering actionable insights, uh, using machine learning, using deep learning. What are, what are um, I guess um, you can start with either some of the ways that you, that you think about and approach these problems. Do you have any processes or anything like that? Or, or if you want, you can start with, a, with a, an example or, or a bit of a case study, and then we sure. can dive into, into how you get there. Up to you. I guess normally from a, the theoretical perspective, when I, I often like lucky like to have this opportunity to work with organizations, both in the public and private sectors, to help them on, on their journey. So it's often around offering strategic advice and technical guidance on how do they actually start and build up this capability. Mm. So it always first comes down to what, what are the business problems? I mean, sometimes organizations get this wrong. They'll say, they'll throw data at you and say, you know, tell us what's this telling you. And that's completely the wrong way to do it. It's, you know, we have a, we have a problem. We, we need someone to, to give us insights. Sometimes it won't be best solved via various analytical techniques and that's fine. But really what they should be asking is we have this, potentially complex problem from the point of data and analytics, putting that lens on, how can we go about solving that? So it's always, always for me, it begins with what's the strategic goal and need that you're trying to, to accomplish. And then from that, in most organizations, it means building up their maturity and analytics that comes down to building a, a data, having a data strategy, you know, there's, there's governance that's ingestion, storage, that whole process I think is very important, especially in the government sector, which is held to a pretty high standard is how do you actually, you know, justify and validate decisions that were made. If you go back in time, you know, what data was used at that time to make a particular decision, all that, that I think that's inc incredibly imperative. Then you've got the whole eth ethics and bias stuff that comes into it these days and it's becoming much more prominent in, in, in the, in the um, forefront and minds of many of these leaders. Then it's the whole um, data culture, actually. How do, you, how do you create the right culture? Because to me, data science is really about change. It's about using analytics to impact change or affect change in an organization. So to do that, you need to have the right culture. And that really stems from having the right leadership and support. So having someone in the C-suite who can, who can make decisions, but who can also support and um, be an advocate of this whole data data-driven decision-making paradigm that we hear a lot about. You really need that support from senior management. Otherwise, it can be really fraught and, I guess, problematic um, at other levels if, if they don't see that support, if people aren't really helping them. Yeah, I've seen it just fall flat too many times or, you know, when people talk about projects failing it off, nothing stems from not the technology or not having the right people to do the analytics. It's really from not having senior management support. And then it comes down to getting the right people in the right roles. You need to have the right... Um, leaders of, of data science teams, as I'm sure you know, you need to have people that you know credible and understand the technical elements enough to to not just validate what their people, their data scientists are doing, but to also help support them their career growth. Because sometimes people don't spend enough time, I don't think, thinking about how do we grow the careers of our data scientists, how do we retain them? They just look at 
building the teams, but not so much about how do we actually keep the good people that we need. Um, I've seen too, you know, too much churn in certain areas, which is always a problem. So having career paths and understanding how to work with these people, understanding that data scientists want challenging problems. They want to be part of the solution. They want to feel validated with what they do and see the impact it has. So from the early stages, getting them integrated into the business, making sure that they have complete visibility of what's happening and there's that communication and collaboration happening between the technical teams and the, and the business teams. That's absolutely paramount. But then it comes down to the deployment aspect. How do you actually scale the solutions? How do you think about how they're going to be used feedback loops to improve the quality of the, of the methods, mm-hmm. implementation of, you know, things like data ops, these processes around making that whole pro- pipeline from ingestion to model development to, you know, pushing it out into production, making that as smooth as possible and, rep- you know, so you can replicate it and scale it. And, and just minimize any, any kinks along that line. And a lot of that comes down to communication and collaboration, which I think are really fundamental elements. And just trying to have you know, good people in, in suitable roles, which can be a problem. Like understanding you need different skills. You need you know, some people that just focus on the data stuff, people that focus on the software engineering elements, people that do the research and the traditional data science stuff, people that sometimes do specifically communication and, and the business development work. Ideally, if you can have a team big enough to, to have delegated tasks that are specific to them, I think that, that can be absolute magic. As, you know, I think, it, 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 yeah, there's some of my key thoughts around that. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. And uh, I, I particularly love the, the focus that you have on um, a, a multiple levels across the value chain. So obviously you've got like the, the, the technical um, spectrum in an end-to-end fashion so you're thinking about the the analytics um value chain end to end but and and that can be seen sort of from a technical perspective but additionally you're adding the business layer as in like the business problem all the way through and the human the human element with you know starting by uh, by getting um through through people getting an understanding of of that business problem translating it um, being able to build a good culture and being able to deliver that, that, that solution to the people that makes a difference. And then, um, so having, having the three, uh, the three layers is something I, I, it, um, it's coming, it's coming across so, so strongly and I can see the, the huge benefits on having the different uh, focuses across the three layers for the whole value chain, which is definitely a, a challenge. Um, and um, so I'll ask you for, for some, some examples or some use cases that you can share with us um, around maybe some of these uh, end-to-end product projects or, or, uh, or anything that you can focus around the main hurdles or main issues. But before we jump to that, I'll just mention that there's a comment from Sherman um, as a response to your, your comment before about uh, offering you know, simple solutions to, to problems so, um, so you can move quickly. And Sherman says, I love hearing that, thank you. I come from a cor- corporate environment and a lot of people rely on Excel, very, very common. Uh, he goes on to say, being able to use Excel to help a lot of workers is great because the majority, the majority of employees really just need to get the job done in the most efficient way possible. So the fact that, yeah, that you're encouraging people to, to focus on the value and, and essentially work with what they have, offer simple solutions, get the business value, move on. It's um, really, really resonating. Um, 
Any other, any other comments, put them in the chat. Any questions, put them in the Q&A. I will start taking those questions. You can also upvote other people's questions. Uh, so you can, if you're curious to hear one, give it a, a thumbs up. Um, so Alex, um, um, do you have any, any examples that you could share with us around um, ways to, to get value from, from machine learning and AI and either thinking about the whole value chain of you, as you've described or focusing on the parts that are most uh, problematic? So I can start by going through a particular example. So this is um, earlier in my time with uh, federal government with one of the um, key departments I was working with. And they were looking at a particular techniques that they were using that weren't um, as heavily data science focused as, as they may have been now. That was in the early days when data science was really taking off. And I noticed an opportunity to really help um, really add the data-driven aspect to that because they had a lot of data they had access to to try and um, meet their strategic goals around uh, searching for people who were, say, questionable in society and needed to, to act on that. And some of the, the techniques they were using had a lot of, uh, I guess, tacit knowledge building with the professional analysts they had working with them. And I guess my view was to say, well, we've got access to a lot of data now. How about we just leverage that? You know, we can really make a difference by using the data and helping the analysts doing this work um, move away from some of the mundane do um, jobs they were doing, the tasks they were doing every day, to using their expertise to really add value in the whole chain of um of um of techniques that we were looking at to to find certain um i guess you know bad people that we're looking for in 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 society so initially there was some reluctance there so you you can't with the with to the human barrier straight away people are like well we don't really understand analytics you know we've been working with data to a point we've got stuff in excel that we look at but we don't really understand um, the broader technique so initially it was it was helping them understand at least at a high level what analytics can do so not not talking to them about rock curves and random forest, you know, stepping away from all that and just speaking to them in their terms, you know, you've got certain resources you can allocate to, to, to meet your goals. And then it was really about focusing on efficiency, you know, using data, we can increase accuracy, increase efficiency and, and re reduce effectively the load on your staff. And we can, and, you know, use some of the gains that we get to, to increase how many staff we have working on the more complex tasks that you're really struggling with. So once you get buy-in there, part of that was even at my level, but getting senior support was then, hey, let's go on an iterative process, you know, being embedded with them, understanding their problem, understanding their, really their pain points, getting a deep understanding, showing them I care about what they're, what they're doing. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Sorry to interrupt. That, yeah, essentially using their language when you, were, when you were speaking to them, using their language about their problems and, and talking about how those solutions can be done better sort of ignoring how that will be done, but talking about the fact that things can be done better, um, that would have gone such a long way in, in winning them over, being able to, you know, show that you guys are, are aligned and basically on the same team yes. and, uh, and, and building trust. How, how did, you, did you find that they were, um, uh, how much more receptive were they after, after um, taking that approach, that fantastic approach? Yeah, it was. It made a big difference. Um, something that I impart in all my staff and, and mentees is, as a data scientist, your goal is to be seen not as a technical geek, but as a trusted professional in an organisation. I mean, 
the technical aspect is just a means to an end to achieve the goals. You have expertise in that area, but overall, you're there fighting the same fight as everyone. You want to, you want some strategic needs to be met, some you know out, output that resonates with the organisation that you're being employed. Doesn't matter if it's public or private. So in this case, it it made a huge impact that they felt that I wanted to understand what they were doing and to really help. So it was about what, like, what do you need achieved? How do yeah. we go about it? Rather than what are we going to do from the technical aspect? That 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 wasn't really their their problem. Wasn't you know it, they didn't really care about that, and that's fine. I didn't need them to care about that. They needed to trust me to to be able to to do that and to explain what was done later on, and that was fine. So that helped move the project on um, quite quickly initially, and then uh, in a lot of these cases, I think often the best way is to to do an iterative process is to is to not take what you think is a problem, walk away and come back after three months and say, here's a solution, go, go use it. That I think is completely the wrong way to do it. It's kind of having an agile approach to how you, how you solve problems. And that is working closely with them, getting a deep understanding, going back multiple times and, and just reassuring them that you've got the right understanding of what the problem is, where the data is coming from, how it will be used, which people are the SMEs in that task that you can ask questions of. And then it's starting to develop the end result and iterating that with them. So not just testing the model technically, but also testing it from a business perspective. What well, can this be integrated into your system? Can your staff actually use it? Does this make sense? Does the output in this format make sense to you? How can we make this better? How can you input you know, feedback information to us to inform the model, et cetera? So, so embedding it into yeah. the, the workflow of, yeah. of the the people, um, yeah, how, how does it become part of their day-to-day when they have a routine that, you know, to their, that they follow to do their work? How do you sneak in to that routine and become part of it? That's, that's what, you're, what you're going for. Exactly. And you're always, and there's always this tension, this balance between the accuracy and complexity of the model versus the business trade-offs. So in this particular case, there were two versions that we developed. One was Nice. It's a little bit more accurate, but a lot more complex from them to understand and to embed in their system. Whereas the initial one was, was, it was a little bit less accurate, but still way more accurate than what was done before, but heaps easier to explain to them and for them to actually integrate and, and have the analysts using it up and running quickly, which was in time was, was of the essence in this case. There was a no-brainer from my perspective as to which way we'd go. Um, but I know some analysts would, would struggle and think, well, we've got to chase higher accuracy. Why would we even bother looking at something else? Well, as, as you know, often in the business world, it doesn't work that way. So, so you, you always have this, this trade-off. And, and that's, that's, I think, imperative to get that right. You need to be very pragmatic. As, as um, one of my bosses early in my career said to me, in, in, in the role I was in, you're not here to do another PhD. And that, to me, the lesson was you're here to you know, be pragmatic and, and add value. And to just do the best you can with the resources you have, and work as quickly, and you know, and, and, and as a in, in kind of a way that means you're going to quickly deploy something that'll create value for the organisation almost immediately. So I love that. I love that. And, and so let me ask you, where do you think this this pragmatism should come from? Where, um, if if it's if it doesn't. If, it, if it's not being consistently applied or consistently done this way in a, in a team, in a data science team, where is the, the initial trigger 
um, to bring this pragmatism, pragmatism, pragmatism into the work. Um, where should that uh, spawn from and be driven from? Do you think? I think you really need advocacy from the team leader. So the leader of the data science team needs to really make the data scientists know it's okay that um, often we just need to get stuff done that has value quickly. Mm. We don't always have the luxury to actually explore all the you know rabbit holes that we may have discovered and we can put them on the back burner. And I think it's their duty to try and help their, their team have opportunities to actually delve deeper into the into the different um, elements, like to actually go down into the thinking path again to make sure that they have time to think. Because often you're just trying to, to get something out there and, and learning as quickly as you can from these mistakes. So they need to promote that that particular element. They also need to promote the fact that sometimes you, you have to be able to fail with some of these tasks. You know, data science is all about exploration and, you know, um, experimentation effectively so you won't always know what you're going to achieve or what the results and outcomes will be so this notion of being able to fail fast and fail cheap i think is imperative so organizations that lack that that are really risk averse i think often struggle with we're doing really innovative work in data science and ai having that culture supported from top down i think is absolutely imperative i've seen organizations do this and really excel i've seen others that have lacked this and have been scared and fearful and they've been really slow to, to increase their maturity. So, I mean, going back to the example earlier, we, we had that from both my level and an extreme and a very senior C-suite at the time. And that made a huge impact on how we were able to, to, to mitigate um, different elements of, of accuracy versus business impact and a bit of experimentation thrown in just to make sure we, we, we'd looked at different parts of, of the journey and, and knew which path to go down. Uh, absolutely imperative. Yeah. Bad. A hundred percent. And related to that, we've got we've got um questions questions flowing in. So thank you, thank you everyone for for putting your questions in. And uh, we got a, a related question from from Rachel. It's uh, she's asking how can you influence positive change in your organization when C suite or management are not supportive or not so supportive of data driven decisions. That's a tough one, but yet very common. And it's a fantastic question to address. Um, happy to share my thoughts on that. Yeah. I've been a, a, up against this number of times in my career and there's a few ways. I think one key practical way is to be effective with the, the data science or data evangelist in organizations. There are many things you can do in that path. It all comes down to collaboration and networking with people internally, especially to, to show what you can do and why it's valuable. So first of all, you want to build up use cases. You want to say, these are some projects I've done. And this is a direct you know, value and impact it's had on other organization or uh, business units within the organization. To get your message out, you can do you know, things like newsletters. But I think what's better is to, to talk to people, to offer to do roadshows, go to the different business units, sit with them, you know, maybe part of their, one of their meetings or their lunchtime sessions, listen to, to their business problems, and then offer some potential solutions and say, look, this is what I did for one of our... Uh, you know, other business units. Mm. Something we can potentially do for you too. First of all, it's listening to them, understanding the business problem, and then seeing where you can add value. Sometimes it also helps to have like a, create like a working group where you have a group of analysts come together, maybe their lunchtime sessions, maybe their formal meetups you have in an organization where they all get together, share insights, because often you'll find people are replicating what someone else is doing or they've already tried something that you're looking at didn't work for whatever reason. You need to be sharing knowledge, I think, sharing. Sometimes it's just domain knowledge in an organization because, as you know, it's very hard to 
to build that up in some organizations where the data has been so complex and large early in my career it's taken you know months to actually truly understand what what the data is is telling you about the business problem how to use it effectively because often it, it may have complex business rules built into it or you may have um some historical and legacy um I guess, um, impacts that have occurred that you don't really know about because often it's not documented well enough or people have left. So how do you understand what's happening? So having a pool of people that, you know, you can use as a resource, I think is absolutely vital. And then also on that point is once you start sharing what you can do and doing this iterative process with working with a group, taking small steps, it comes down to, I think, to starting to do bring a proof of concepts for them. You know, here's a small scale version of what we can potentially do for you. Here's how we can add values. And that's especially important when you start talking to C-suite and senior people. It's, it's what we said earlier. Do not talk about the technical aspects. Talk about business value. Talk to them in their, in their, in their terms. You know, steer away completely from technical jargon. Remember, you want to be seen as a trusted professional. If you just happen to have expertise in analytics, great. But when you're in front of them, you're talking about you know, value for them. Sometimes it's about scaring them into, if we don't do something, this is what we'll lose. So you need to be able to look at, you know, Profit, staff churn, efficiency gains, whatever it is, that say whatever resonates with them. So really understand what keeps them up at night, understand the strategic goals of the organization clearly and clearly show how you can link what you're doing to that. That is imperative. No matter what stage of your of a data science career you're at, you have to link what you're doing to that. And that often means two things, targeting um, viable problems to solve and having measurable outcomes. If you can do that, then I think success is almost guaranteed in any organization. So you want to also, it's also two way, you want to be showing what you can do, but they also have to, in many ways, I think realistically be willing to increase their own data literacy. They can't be ignorant and say, you know, you're an expert in this field, just go and do what you do, we don't care. That can be very problematic. You want them to care. So sometimes it's about you trying to get in front of them and, and, and explain how you've added value or what you can do. Other times it, it's, it's, uh, it's inviting people who are leaders in the field to come and give an independent perspective and so they can validate what you're doing. Sometimes the C-suite you know, would like, unfortunately, to have people come from the outside to, to do that. I mean, it's good or bad. You can look at it both ways, but if it helps you on your journey, that's fantastic then. I mean, all, all the better, I think, having another perspective and another voice to help you. So there's some of the key things, I think. And, and often, I guess the final point is when you start developing solutions or proof of concepts or getting your ideas out there. Um, when you communicate those ideas, try and be as visual as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, have visuals, have interactive demos, things that people can, you know, um, yeah, interact and, and resonate with and, and get a feeling for what you're doing. Just numbers on a chart is often not enough these days. Yeah. So just make, you know, showing the impact you can have and being a bit more thoughtful with how you communicate those ideas, I think can make a huge difference. So I, I'm a huge advocate of that. Right. That is, that is awesome. And you, and you touched on, um, or, or you answered the, the next question, um, as part of, as part of that, which uh, comes from Aiden. And the question is following what we were talking about before, how do you prove to skeptical management that your work has value or has had an impact? And definitely, as as um, as you were saying, like you have to uh, measure the results or focus on what is the 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 cost, what is being lost by not actioning what the evidence says, um, showing that there's better ways to do it, but but in um, communicating that in their terms and their speak, in, in essentially profit, um, 
cost, revenue growth, number of customers, um, making it visual, as you said as well, super helpful. Is there anything else that you wanted to throw in that um, uh, in that answer? When it when it becomes quite <clears throat> excuse me complex is when you want to validate spending time doing research. That becomes hard because sometimes you have to spend you know a certain proportion of your time researching new ideas. You don't know where they're going to lead, but you know that if they turn out, they could have a huge uplift for the capabilities of the organization. So for that, you really need to have senior leaders or data science or analytics leaders that can communicate that to <clears throat> senior management if they're not already on board. That can become a harder sell. And <clears throat> excuse me, that's another lesson I learned early in my career. I was once very lucky to meet uh, Myron Scholes, who was uh, one of the founders of the Black Scholes derivative pricing model. Yeah. And something I walked away from that conversation was thinking analytics can be bloody hard to sell. I mean, that's something that's been reinforced many times in my career, especially when I was in consulting. Oh, yeah. It's biggest, you know, you know what it's like to shift people's minds, to get them thinking about data, to, to change from how they've done decision-making before to now having that supplemented or reinforced by data analytics can be, can be a hard sell. Um, so, I mean, I don't de deny that some people can find that a real challenge in their careers, especially at times if you're not seen enough to, to have a voice on the table to, to advocate for that, it can be hard. So having, having senior people that can support that, having actually what, what can help sometimes is having this um, willing coalition in the organization. So getting together with other senior people, that have influence on senior management and getting together yes. and having them advocate for you, I think can make a huge difference. So once again, it comes down to, to networking in your organization, collaborating with others and not forgetting the human element. You know, you need to talk to people and show them what you can do and show that you're part of the solution. So, yeah. yeah. Oh man. I love that approach to, to essentially find a way by any means to become a trusted advisor to get closer and closer to the people that are making the, the, the big decisions, essentially. And I love the idea of, of establishing a coalition. That is awesome. Um, definitely showing the value uh, of the work will open a lot of doors and then getting in front of the, the right person. And then um, I, think, I think you've got some, some um, premonition powers because um, you also touched on the, the a bit of an answer for the next question, um, which is from Derek. And he says, how important is the business sponsor or business evangelist to the success of a data scientist, especially if the data scientist is more nerdy than businessy? 100% make or break your career. <laughs> I mean, you need that. Yeah, they are absolutely fundamental to support you. Remember, they often have the funding. They have the, the you know, direct access to C-suite sometimes. So having them advocate for what you're doing can make a huge difference to how much funding you get, the resources you have, like team members and, and infrastructure that supports what you're trying to do. So you need to, to win them. You need to, as we spoke earlier, you need to be able to show them the value that you can add and that you care about their problem. You want to understand, you want to be part of their solution. So I think you, from early on, you've got to work hard to, to, to work with these people and communicate. I mean, not just to understand the problem, but think more broadly about you're there to help the organization solve problems. So I think it's often helpful to think of yourself as a effectively as an internal consultant, you know, you're there to help people solve problems. The analytics you're using is, is, is your, in your toolkit, but really like them, your, your focus is to come up with ways to, to find value for the business. 
That's so right. The willing coalition is huge. You need to be part of this, this broader group, not just sit in a technical group, which is outside the other groups. That's not an ideal situation. You don't want to be in, in competition with IT or business. You know, you're all playing incredibly important roles. You know, it, it's a cohesive unit. Which in the same team. Delivers value. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, we all know there can be silos in businesses. Getting access to data can be hugely problematic. Oh, yeah. Often, often that is around, um, it's around having the right people together. And I'll never forget once when you told me that you, when you worked somewhere to get your data, your historical data, you had to go outside your organization to, to do that. I mean, I've been in similar cases where it's just so hard to get in data internally through you know, silos and walls that have been built up. You have to go around other means. And that's a real shame. You know, no one group really owns the data. The data is there for the organization. And that's where trying to implement, implement this notion of data democracy, democratizing the data and organization is, is important. But let's be honest, you need to be at a C-suite level to really you know, enforce and promote that. You know, at the other levels, you just won't have enough of a say, especially in larger organizations. So it's a shame it works that way, but you often need people at senior levels to help build that support. Um, and that shows that the organization as well is, is, is dead serious about going down the path of a data-driven data, um, decision-making paradigm, which not all of them are or they're ready to. Sometimes you need to work hard at your level to, to help promote and set them on the right path. But it can be a challenge. There's no doubt. You can Definitely. And it's, and it's, in my experience at least, it's a messy process. <laughs> I've, um, I've, I've been in large organizations where through um, some, of the, some of the methods that you mentioned around um, describing our work in business terms and creating a coalition, we started to to get support from people higher and higher in the organization. And then it came to a point where we had business heads uh, wanting to move forward. We have a chief risk officer saying that we couldn't access any data from the enterprise data warehouse as a data science team. And then we had a, a C CTO um, saying that we were allowed to use the cloud as a learning project as long as it didn't use any internal data, so only with external data. And we had kind of like at very senior level all these different discussions of a couple of people that wanted to get the value, that saw some value and wanted to get value for their area. One guy saying, you guys are not getting any data. One other guy is like, you guys can play outside, but not in here. <laughs> And sort of like try to um, work through the through the mess. Um, we've got heaps heaps of questions coming in, mate, which is very interesting. So, uh, and I know that we we are oh, maybe we got like about eight minutes left. So we'll do maybe some some uh, lightning round quick answers. Um, we have a question from uh, from Phil Briley, mate. Good. Uh, thanks for coming. Good to, good to hear from you. He asks, do you have any thoughts on what is thought in universities in relation to uh, the requirements in business for data scientists? Um, how, how well are, are those connected of, um, you know, the needs of business in uh, universities and what's being taught to, uh, to students? I think the key element there, to be honest, is having more people like me who have been in industry who can come back and, and give a more realistic, in-depth view I think traditionally what where its tension has occurred is just different, um, I guess, context and, and drivers. So with, from the university perspective, they do need to engage and want to engage to get their research out, but they often have the onus to actually publish and that can limit how they're doing the research and 
and the value they can ultimately add with organizations. Obviously, they want access to leading-edge researchers to do some of the more complex work. But they also want the focus to be on a value, very pragmatic approach. It can be a challenge. Um, I'm hoping we're changing it with the way that we're doing it, where we have kind of a whole institute and section dedicated to just supporting um, both public and private sector organizations by having not just researchers, but having data scientists, software engineers that can you know help with some of those strategic goals. So it comes down to, well, there's a number of factors. One is shifting slightly how you do the teaching itself. So making sure that the problems that you focus on for students are realistic problems, not just fully synthetic made up versions and something that they wouldn't necessarily come up with in practice, because often some students will walk out and having worked on, you know, nice clean problems, mm-hmm. get into the real world and realize, geez, the, the business problem hasn't even been articulated. Well, what am I even solving? Why am I solving it? Do they know what Why is this data so messy? <laughs> Do people know what they want? <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's obviously a huge shock to many, to, to many, um, you know, graduates. I think it works both ways. It's, it's, it's both sides need to be understanding, but also have mutually um, mutual benefits in terms of how they address the problem. So the universities need to be able to, I guess, to, to better integrate their translational research, the work that they're doing and to understand business needs and how they just want something done often quickly. And in a way that they, you know, have some of their IP around what they're doing and they can scale it. But the organization needs to understand that with what the university is doing, they also want to be able to use it for other purposes for publishing or for their, to further their own research benefit. Effectively it comes down to a lot of communication and to both sides being understanding. I think it's an area that will continue to grow. I think as more people like me will, that want to return to academia and, and, and help change the way that, that academics in, um, integrate with organizations, how they develop their new teaching um, programs. I think that will only improve in the coming years especially given recent changes in how the academic sector has been impacted by everything happening around the world. Mm. I think they have to be a bit more flexible in how they engage with industry and yes. be more pragmatic from their point of view and focus less on just publishing and more on how do you actually use what, what you know, in-depth knowledge you have to just create value for organizations. Um, I agree. Yeah, it'll, it'll happen. It'll change. It'll definitely change. Yeah. Yeah, well, you you are you are a leader in in that space, mate. It's uh, really really great to say. Yeah, we have a question from Tristan. Really interesting question, I think, for um, especially with with your experience, some um, some of my experience. He's asking, do you see many opportunities for data science in rural areas, or do you think this is only a career that's viable in cities? Definitely, I think it's not especially these days with remote working. So there's, there's a, two elements there. One is where you, where you work and actually physically sit now is less important. So like me, you can live in a rural area and still work on some amazing problems. But in terms of applications to, to rural aspects, well, the agriculture section, sex, you know, sector has a huge uptake, has had a huge uptake in, in the application yeah. of data science and AI. You know, you've got drones, you've got automated automated machines to do harvesting and seed planting and weeding. Oh yeah. Drones flying around and looking at doing photos. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as an example, my, my PhD was with CSRO looking at heat transfer in grain silos and looking at eradicating, you know, pests in, 
in grain bulks using uh, applied mathematical modeling. So and that was, you know, many years ago now. So the application of analytics to the rural sector is absolutely huge and it will continue to grow as we face climate change, as we run out of viable land given development to actually produce food for ourselves. Uh, that It's an area that's of huge interest to me and that will just continue to grow um, in the next decade. I, I see huge potential there. So if I think if you can get into that now, you've got a great career ahead. I, I would strongly suggest that. I think it's a, an area that will definitely continue to, to grow, especially when it comes to off, like um, adjunct areas around that, like food production, looking at, you know, mm. yeah, meat, you, you can use, you know, plant-based products to replicate meat and stuff. So there's a lot more technology and, and analytics around that being applied as well. IOT, obviously, and all those areas. I mean, that just, that's going to be huge. It'll just continue to grow. I agree. Yeah. And, and so, so people know um, Alex is based in Canberra uh, and working on amazing, amazing problems, solving amazing problems. Uh, I'm based in, in Newcastle, in New South Wales. Uh, they're both, you know, seen as like smaller cities. They are about 300,000 people, maybe, maybe even a bit less. Um, and there's, there's, yeah, lots, definitely lots of opportunities. Um, a, a last, last question, mate. Amanda brought, uh, brought it this, brought up this, um, this point around what has been your, your favorite project that you worked on, um, that has been, that has created change or been used, uh, or, or used data science as a force for good. Um, another way that I like to ask, uh, the question is what are you most proud of that you've done in your career? Uh, tell us about about some of the some of the big impact um, that your work has has had. Uh, I could talk about um, projects that have probably had big dollars associated with them and other impacts, but the main thing that's bit that I guess most proud of is is probably the simplest is starting the blog. It's because I've been able to share my experiences, insights at scale. I mean, having people reach out and say thanks for your um, imparting your knowledge in a particular area, I've been able to go away and and do something for my organisation that's had this huge uplift or huge savings or this has helped me um, start my career in data science. I'm loving it. I've rediscovered my passion for analytics or, you know, I've had this problem at work I couldn't resolve, but, you know, your riddle or, or something that you've shared has, has helped me. So that the element of just reaching people at scale and helping them rather than just one organisation, it's helping people more broadly in the community and help them understand the value and the beauty of analytics is probably what I, I get the biggest kick out of, to be honest. Things like this where we can talk and share insights and others can hopefully, at least hopefully at least one person will walk away thinking I've learned something. I mean, that that's a huge thing for me and what I guess helps me get out there and, and talk to people in you know, a conference, presos, webinars, you know, being an, an introvert, that's not always easy to do, but I, I do enjoy sharing sharing my knowledge with people. So if they get something out of it, then I'll continue doing it until they tell me to stop. Mate, we get a lot out of it and we always enjoy you sharing. Um, I know that I always learn. Um, <laughs> I always learn every time we, we speak, mate. So um, thank you. Thank you very much for, for all the work that you do, for putting so much um, effort into, you know, into building communities, into solving problems, into sharing uh, better approaches to data science. Uh, we are all super grateful. And thank you for coming on the, on the show today. Thank you. Um, Amazing. Thank you so much for everyone who joined. We'll wrap up with this um, 
um, with a, a riddle that we got from, uh, from our sponsor. So uh, Rubik's is a consulting company based in Melbourne who helps make data futurology possible. They are our sponsor and um, they help organizations get value from their data. Uh, look them up on Rubik's, it's with an X at the end. So rubix.com.au. Uh, Dylan, who's the founder, shared a riddle. He said, if you were running a race and you passed the second, uh, the person in second place, what place would you be now? That's a good one. Right? Yeah. Ah, Amanda already answered it. Ah, oh, too good. <laughs> she's got it. Very nice. Uh, she's put it on the chat there. Um, I know. Um, everyone, thank you so much for joining. Alex, again, thank you. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, absolute pleasure as always. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the, the webinar. Come back, come back from the, for the next one. Obviously, thank you to Rubik's, our sponsor. We, Data Futurology wouldn't be possible without sponsors. If your organization, for anyone else, if your organization is, is looking to, um, to help the community and is willing to sponsor Data Futurology, uh, please get in touch through the website or my email. Thank you so much, everyone. And we'll see you at the next webinar. Alex, again, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. pleasure, mate. Thank you. Have a great day. You Happy too. Friday, everyone. Bye. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.